Hello, and welcome to the God and Entertainment Podcast with your hosts, Brian Gadawa and Chris Moore. Here's Brian. Welcome to our podcast, Episode 1. I'm Brian Gadawa. And I'm Chris Moore. And for Episode 1, we're calling this part of a series, and the first episode is Pandemic Movies, Viruses, Achoo. And uh, we're going to do a three-part series, we think. It may go more, but so far three parts for on pandemic movies, obviously to fit the, uh, the, the world of quarantine that we are now in. And we'll eventually look at the movie Quarantine, too. Um, so these are going to be all movies about pandemics and the threat to human extinction. So one thing I want to say is um, on this podcast, you know, our goal is to address storytelling and I know from my background, it's going to be a lot of movies and series. You know, the, the goal here, though, is to talk about these issues as it relates to storytelling and really, you know, movies, television, streaming, that kind of stuff is in our personal lives. It's one of the most powerful means of communication. So that's why we're sort of focusing on that. But by way of introduction, uh, Chris, why don't you introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, why, why you're here doing this. Uh, yes. And, and Brian, I'm going to ask you to, for those who are listening who don't know about your illustrious history yeah, after you. Uh, as well. But for me, okay, so um, I am a basically Los Angelino now. I've been here for 22 years, but I was born and raised in the East Coast, went to undergrad and grad school for film, and I came out to L.A. to be part of the system. And I my route was working through post-production. I started right away when I got out. I was very lucky years ago, went through post-production, started in technical, and then got my way into post and editing. And I got in the union and did a lot of assistant editing work, which also entailed sound design and actual editing. A lot of the assistant editing jobs actually entail working as an editor. So uh, I worked through the system. I've worked for almost every major studio. and uh, But at the entire time that I was working, I worked for HBO, I've worked for Larry David, I've worked uh, for Ryan Murphy. When I was doing this, I always, I never left the, the the mindset of being a Christian, and I had a constant yearning and desire to do more blatant, should I, if that's the right way to say it, Christian work, to be more, to be more uh, uh, edifying. So in 2016, I decided to step out of the industry jobs and go independent and work as a as a writer and as an independent editor really i've I've shifted gears and i work more in audio drama now and writing uh so that's kind of my story this right now i'm writing and working kind of doing some things that are similar to you brian there's another little blip in there in my career which is in 2010 out of it pure insanity and a desperate need to change give myself more options and to give myself options to get out of post i decided eh, i'm almost 40 why don't I go to law school? So I went to law school. It was brutal for me being an older, starting at 40 and also coming from an artist background. And But it was fantastic because it helped me as a writer and it helped me as a thinker. And it helped me to see many different perspectives and the, and the arguments that come uh, that so many different people have in any given issue, which is fantastic for writing and also the business savvy of even having more understanding of contracts and all, all kinds of stuff. And it really ultimately led me to have to trust God more because it was, it put me into financial duress and other things that led me to have to trust him more. So 
that's where I'm kind of coming from. That's my background. Yeah. And for me, you know, um, <clears throat> I've been, always been an artist. I was a visual artist trained in uh, school to be a vis visual artist and working as a graphic designer for many years. But I'd always loved movies. And so I basically took the route. This was many years ago. I took the route of self-education. I, I went and um, basically studied uh, screenwriting on the side while I had my day job and um, I just didn't want to be start out as a starving artist so um, I decided to have the day job going there and you know so I read every book went to every conference and did all the pitch meetings beat the street all that kind of stuff just sort of um, carving my own way to try to become a Hollywood screenwriter and along the, that way um, uh, my first movie got made in like 2001, which is called To End All Wars. And I've made some documentaries and some other low budget feature crap after that. <laughs> um, but uh, uh so, so while I was while I was on that journey of you know pursuing storytelling and learning it, I was realizing how much of it connected to my Christian faith and 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 how to integrate storytelling with my faith, you know, in a way that is not preachy and pedantic and all that kind of stuff. So that inspired me to to write my aesthetic out, which became a book called Hollywood Worldviews: Watching Films with Wisdom and Discernment. And I released that you know years ago, and and now it's a textbook in you know Christian colleges across the country. Um, because it really it was an attempt to try to help the people to understand how worldview is is connected to storytelling and particularly in movies and television and how it communicates that. And so um, yes, my you know and 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 then I'm still writing movies independent. I'm not on the studio side. I'm more on the independent side. And but I've also become a novelist over the last ten years. Actually, um, I've started writing novels on the side and that's an interesting story in itself maybe i'll tell it sometime but uh turns out i i started writing these bible stories so the genre of novels that have become very successful for me and all bestsellers are uh basically bible stories like Chronicles of the Nephilim, Chronicles of the Watchers, stuff like that. But they're not just Bible stories like the typical Sunday school garbage, you know, that a lot of people <laughs> get fed. But they're actually, you know, a, a desire to bring out the, the interesting things, the odd things in the Bible, as well as the supernatural side of things, you know, whether it's angels or demons or what have you. But in a way that's very theologically, uh, I think at least, you know, interesting and also consistent with the Bible. Um, so it's not really necessarily a Christian type thing. It's more like just a biblical storytelling thing. So that I, I actually did not set out to do that, but my first novel was about Noah, and it became so popular that that sort of launched me in that direction. So that's what I'm doing now as a novelist and and a Hollywood screenwriter as well. So, um, but the, and and as as you guys are probably catching on, the purpose of this show, the purpose of this podcast is. We want to look at entertainment and storytelling in our culture through the lens of a Christian worldview. Not, and it's not like a watchdog mentality, you know, like, you know, here's what's wrong, you know, because I've always hated that sort of thing, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you know, too much sex and violence, so therefore we don't watch any movies, you know, that kind of thing. Um, by the same token, you know, there's also a lot of people that I think just consume entertainment because they think eh, it's just entertainment and they don't believe and they don't realize that, no, it's actually communicating something and it's affecting you. Um, so so it's, it's, it's not a watchdog, but it's just a, a, an attempt to do discernment. So the first thing I want to talk about is the genre. We're going to talk about these disease outbreak movies, okay, viruses, um, you know, Outbreak type stuff. We're gonna we're gonna focus a little bit on a couple movies that that we th that we thought sort of will address the issues. Were either good or bad, but you know, just sort of 
stories that will will address this in an interesting way that you might want to then go out and watch again or whatever. Um, but first, let's just talk about sort of the the genre of it and and. Chris, why don't, you, why don't you tell me, you know, what you think, how you see the the genre as a whole. What what what's its point? What's its purpose? That kind of a thing. What what are the themes that we see a lot about? You know. Yeah, and I and I want to say one thing too that's interesting. We're starting. It wouldn't matter where we started, whether we're talking about pandemic, zombie, nuclear apocalypse, yeah. whatever. What's really interesting about this. That's the reason why I think you and I are doing this. I, I don't think I know it is, is that no matter what anyone who's writing or storyteller, any creator, but since we're talking about story, could be filmmakers, which means directors, writers, actors, whatever, the very truth and nature of the core of what we are as human beings and that we are children of God, whether you believe it or not, comes out in every one of these movies. And whether people at the end are bitterly certain and sure and stalwart that there is no God, God's all over the place in those stories. And it doesn't matter if you get into a film like we're going to talk about I Am Legend and Will Smith has a fantastic speech about there is no God. And he's literally like the woman that he's talking to is one of the few people who are still alive on earth. He's shaking his fists and she's flinching. It doesn't matter. What's so fantastic is every single thing we talk about, no matter what, we're going to see how filmmakers human beings cannot deny god and what they're doing and it's awesome it's why i brian and i can watch fantastically crazy films why we can watch stuff no matter how off the wall because god's in he is there in everything and that's why i love film in particular and tv stories and regardless even music <laughs> yeah but and and that's what our drive is so we're going to start pandemic before we kind of segue into zombie uh, zombie films and and others. So we're in the Achu, right? And they're all connected in a very, very clear way, but yeah. They are. There's a progression. Um, so since we're talking about Achu first, we're not going to talk about the zombified monster version in this first podcast. At the end, we'll kind of get into that as a, as a cliffhanger. Basically, um, we're looking at a situation that is like what we're dealing with now in 2020, which is there's a disease there's generally Hollywood versions or any story version, wherever it's told, whether it's in South Korea, whether it's in Russia, wherever, these films deal with a very extreme version because it amps up the story. It amps up the stakes. Yeah. It brings out and flushes out what we are as human beings. So we're looking first at a number of movies today that are non-zombie. So we're talking about what happens when there's a pandemic, when there's an illness that's of significant, serious threat and for instance as we talk one of the films we're going to talk about 25 percent death rate so we're talking about films where there is a huge risk and it, that causes people to seriously have to face and confront death in some cases the the death rate is higher it seems to be almost everybody is it dies and so we're talking about what are those choices and the thing that's very scary about this subject matter i think for us as as individuals we have in these films a sense of this could be real. And now that we're living this for the first time in a hundred years, over a hundred years, suddenly these films are becoming really frightening in a very honest way that in the past, just a year ago, six months ago, we would have thought was scary, but now we're living something that in the early days of this COVID-19, we would have, we thought, who knows what the percentage of death is. So it's very interesting to see how this is a great time to examine how how would we react and what have we seen what have we seen in real life 
anyway, Brian, give some of your your thoughts. So, so I think I think just in general, um, I see the genre as being of you know of virus pandemics movies is basically the Frankenstein theme, you know, which I think is you know probably the most universal theme for horror in all of history, and it's it still works. It's one of the best, <laughs> and you know the Frankenstein theme, which is you know the dangers of modern science, modern uh, human hubris, you know. Um, and and we make our own monsters to some degree. Sometimes that's relevant, you know. And again, there, I'm speaking generally here. Obviously, each movie might be different, but um, but I get a sort of feel that it's like if we either we have to stop doing something or we're going to destroy ourselves, you know. And so it deals with the issues of fear, panic, and preparation, you know. So it's sort of like so there's a, a focus on the disease what it does, et cetera, but also the panic or how humans re respond to that. And it sort of examines both of those elements, you know what I'm saying? And also, I think another one of these, one of the elements is often how easily society can fall apart or break down with something so small. So in a way, this movie sort of forces us to examine ourselves where are we at with our civilization, with our own personal morals? We'll see that in a, in a minute because it addresses those issues, you know what I mean? And how we react to great suffering or, you know, great tragedy type of thing, right? So I think that there's a, you know, there's a way, in a way, it's a very moral purpose behind the genre. So, um, Anyway, let's let's start talking about these movies so we don't uh, philosophize our way into obscurity. <laughs> yes, really quickly though, I do want to mention one thing. One of the thoughts you mentioned Frankenstein, and I was thinking about this. What I love too about these films, and it, we'll also get into it as we talk about zombie. There's an element in some of these films, the Frankenstein, the wanting to be God, yeah. and some of these movies we're going to see come from the the human beings doing something to create or destroy. And by create, I mean cancer, the cure for cancer leads to the death of almost everybody. Yeah. In one of the Planet of the Apes reboots, the first of the new three, it's Alzheimer's or something like that, and it leads to the death oh, of everybody. Yeah. And then third off, we're gonna see an outbreak. What if you wanna hoard a, a weapon of mass destruction, which is a virus, so that you have a godlike power? What happens with that? So Frankenstein, it's a fantastic representation of what we're gonna be talking about because it's when people wanna become God, God's lowercase g, all kinds of bad things happen. <laughs> yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, why don't you why don't you give give us the intro to Contagion? Yeah. So not a surprise. The movie was made in 2011, and it's was in the top five, top ten rentals on iTunes, like in the first couple weeks of late March. Not a shock. One of the most fantastic films and most closely accurate to the truth, dealing with a contagion, which is non-zombie for anybody who may happen to have not seen it. Uh, and it's a film that shows you how the disease started, although it's flashbacks through the film and goes all the way through the process of the contagion spreading around the world to the final conclusion of finding a, a cure, a, a serum. But what it does that's so incredibly well done is basically the story goes through the life. First, it's the first life of the person who's at ground zero for the for the virus and what happens to the family and the relationship with the father. It deals with all these people at the CDC who are working throughout the country to, to basically quell the thing, to stop it, and then to find a cure. You have people in a specific state. They pick, um, I believe it's Minnesota, if I'm wrong, sorry. Uh, but they go and basically 
you see how a local government, a local state handles it, which is very interesting because they're rebellious against getting everybody worked up and, and telling everybody how bad they think things could be without the, the right information. But basically the story goes through and there's a conspiracist played by Jude Law who doesn't believe a word the entire film of anything he's being told and he's got a cure. He has the equivalent that he stumbled on with some other others that that believe that there's an equivalent of the anti-malarials, but it's a different thing with a different name, but it's the same thing. And it's just going through, you, and then you start to get to know the people who are the, the scientists and you start to see their journey. And basically just the really broad stretch of this film is you see the life of no less than at least 15 different people who are in different aspects of this virus from down to earth folks there's a guy played by John Hawks who's in the office of the CDC who's a simple man, and he calls out even the difference between levels of privilege. You're well-to-do and privileged, and you're a doctor, and I'm just this lowly janitor. What are you going to do about it? It's just the movie covers the whole spectrum, government involvement and cover-up potentially because Jude Law plays that guy. People rebelling, Elliot Gould rebelling against he's told to destroy samples, but he doesn't, and he has a breakthrough. So the movie, it's just basically takes you through this process. It's emotional. It's very plot-driven, and it's very clinical, and I'll talk more about what I mean by that as we go. It's kind of like a docudrama almost, you know? And I think that in some ways, when I watched it again real recently, I remembered the first time I saw, saw it, it actually was not very interesting to me. And, and that's because I tend to prefer the, you know, stronger, single protagonist, you know, hero stories, et cetera. They're just more entertaining, et cetera. This is more diffused. There's, there's not one single hero. There's multiple people. But of course, that's also that can be the strength as well, because the the whole point of this is is you know, the, and they said this. They they said we wanted to really make a movie that wasn't too Hollywoodified, you know, that to really show what might be the reality if something this bad really happened, what would be the process and how would it affect people, etc. And so I, I appreciate that 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 what that is. And this time when I saw it, I appreciated it even more because of all the similarities there. And you know, it's funny, like all the things they're talking about in that video, it's like, oh my gosh, social distancing. You know, they had all these words that are what are not factor and all this <laughs> stuff that we now know, but we didn't know back then. And so it's it, yeah, I I have to say the first time I saw it. I was a little forgettable for me because it wasn't very strong in that sense. But now rewatching, I realized, you know what? No, I, I, I really thought it was was a powerful, a powerful story to tell. You know, and um, some of the things that he did was so gen genius in some ways. You know, like, you know, now if we get into like the acting and the, and stuff like that, it's, and I'll leave some some for you to talk talk about too. But, you know. Uh, so the first character we see is Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, and she's like, you know, a superstar even at the time when the movie came out, I think. And, you know, and so she's she's the first one to get sick. And, you know, you're going, oh, wow, I'm going to watch this journey of her. Right. And oh, my gosh, she's dead within the first couple scenes, you know, <laughs> and to take a superstar, a Hollywood superstar and, and kill them off within the first couple minutes. was It's so jarring, but it's exactly it gives you that sense of the fact of the reality is the virus does not discriminate you know everyone can get taken down you know and and the way that the other people come in later like Kate Winslet as well she's a superstar in this movie she comes in you think oh she's going to you know she's going to be the one to save everybody cuz she's coming in with the CDC and she got has all this knowledge and she's explaining everything and so uh but but yet she gets affected by it too and and so i was really in, 
I was impressed with how well he was able to tell a good story about while informing us sort of educational wise, you know? So in that way, it's a, it's a little weak in terms of a typical movie because there's a lot of information. But I will say that the way that he embodied the information within the story was really was really amazing. And, and you know, yeah, I still I still am impressed by it. So I, I, I appreciated it more the second time. Yeah, I have to say when I first saw this movie in 2011 and it scared me enough that a few years later I bought a copy of it on Blu-ray and watched it again, I was like, I appreciated it more. And But what's interesting, Soderbergh, the way he chose to make this movie, like you were saying, Brian, it's really awesome that he chose to make this like a docudrama and in ways it's very clinical. And Soderbergh is known for being a guy who uses ambers and blues and color timing because he's also a DP. And he does that here, but it's very subtle. Everything's very cold. Everything's very blue and cold. And he does that. And in some places are really cold and blue. But it's not like traffic where he had everybody's story was a different drastic color timing, yeah. including green. Um, but but he's the man who's known for going to the heart of matters as far as human human character and development. Because you got to remember, Sex, Lies, and Videotape is his first big movie that launched him. And most of his movies, he's dealing with characters in deep deep probing, which is why I really love his films. And this film, he chose not to do that. He chose to to be a little more clinical and tell stories very rapidly because one, he had a big story to tell. Yeah. But number two, I think he wanted you to feel this sense of coldness that there's so much happening and you're almost being overwhelmed between the, and he's not the writer on it. I, I can't remember the name of the writer, but between the writer and himself, the way they put this together, I think they captured that sense of fright while still giving you enough human elements sprinkles throughout Matt Damon and his relationship with his daughter. Um, so I had seen the movie a year ago. So when this COVID-19 thing happened, it was fresh in my mind. And I started getting extra nervous about COVID in, in March because I was thinking about this movie. And then I watched it again last night. And I was like, oh, man, this is even more prescient about the way things have gone and the way things have happened. Yeah, I, yeah. Know, oh, I just want to throw in too. Another, one of the things I really appreciate about it was, yeah, I think he has a real nimble touch of filmmaking. He's a very nuanced. He's he's a good. He's a filmmaker, which is why he's kind of always been on the outskirts of Hollywood in many ways. You know, I'm sure he's done a a big movie here or there, but he basically returns to the to the smaller films, and um, he um. So you know, in a lot of these movies, and a lot of them all do this because it's it's kind of obvious you have to and that is how do you visually trace the tracking of of the germs you know that kind of thing and he used no special effects it was it was just lingering you know so even in the first moments you kind of know what the movie's about but you haven't seen it yet right but the the way he lingers on just the hand that opens the door and then the camera stays on the door for just a second longer you know and then and then we we start noticing people handing drinks to each other touching their face whatever and it was it's just simple you know whereas you know in in the other movie we're going to talk about next outbreak it's a lot more dramatic they they go into a different you know whatever a different sort of view on the camera and you kind of see the particles you know that kind of thing mm -hmm. but i just thought it was it was just simple and profound and and again uh non you know more realistic because of that but yet in a way that it pleases the audience because we are figuring this out for ourselves. We're seeing this. We're going, ah, 
we're seeing the tra- contract tracing that's going on there, you know? Yeah. And I, I will say the one thing he did do with visual effects that's super subtle, when people are dead, those are freeze frames, but they've been digitally altered so that it looks like the camera's running. And one of the ways that that's done, the simplest ways is the way camera grain, but there's, he's doing more, but cool. those are freeze frames, but they're digitally altered to look real. Um, but the other thing I will say is uh, quite a few years ago, here's a side anecdote. I was working on a show and one of the show creators for that show was Gwyneth Paltrow's boyfriend. Now they're married. And when I saw her, I couldn't help. I didn't meet her, but I was standing not too far from her. And when I looked over, I just couldn't help but think, man, that's Gwyneth Paltrow. That was really scary when she was dead in contagion. <laughs> that was, and that was back in, that happened like almost 2016. And I was like, it, that movie, this movie had such a powerful impact on me because of how it was told. That's my first reaction when I saw her in person with my own eyes. Was <laughs> this movie? I couldn't help it. Um, I wasn't thinking about the Royal Tannenbaums. I was thinking about the, <laughs> this film. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think everything that you said. It, it, it's on the money. It's the way it's told and the way it unfolds. And there's just from an editing standpoint, there's just enough information delivered in each scene that you need. And then boom, we're gone. But he knows when to stay. And at the end, they run, which I had forgotten. Uh, you too. All I want is you is running. And it's his daughter, Matt Damon's daughter's prom. It, it's just them. But the boyfriend who has the, the, the shot now, he's got the serum. They're able to dance. And that scene just goes really slowly just like earlier in the film when kate winslet's running to the guy who's on the bus who was in contact with the person in the office who they now know died had the disease gwyneth paltrow uh, not gwyneth paltrow i was saying kate winslet is running and she's running and that whole scene where she's got a mask and she's got to get it on his face and you're in his pov and it goes yeah that scene it was really well done because again it was one of those moments where running slow to tell a story in the moment is the best way to tell it and super and i ran that scene at fast speed because i had to scan it last night and that scene was super slow running at fast speed (laughs) so i i really appreciated that so and and doing some investigation and i think i would not be surprised if many people who are listening to this podcast now not only know the movie but they've heard and read articles that it's pretty much been lauded right now that this movie captured almost everything right there's very little criticism about this movie as far as what it got wrong i I can't think of anything other than the serum being found within less than a year it wasn't a year and that's that's a little exaggerated well i you know like there's there's articles on this stuff you know i mean yeah like and you as you already mentioned you know it is a movie and movies do have to have heightened stakes and so you know like the comparison of this to COVID-19, it's, you know, like you said, it's 25% mortality rate versus what, 0.2%, you know? So there's, you know, there is a, a, an element of bigness that it's not necessarily the same, but but the principle's still there, you know? And and I do think that it makes, it makes that point well. You know, one of the things that I also thought was amazing too, how closely it it, it did connect. I mean, not, not exactly, but, um, so the whole movie, it's all about, you know, not for, for one of the or two of the characters, it's all about finding patient zero, where, you know, where did it happen? Where, how did it start? And all that kind of stuff. And um, and then at the end, they actually show us, he shows us outside of outside of the time space where it actually began. And 
it starts with a bat, you know, and there's like, you know, whatever, some bat feces mixes up with uh, the pigs and the pigs become eaten food and the food is prepared by the cook. And then you see a mm-hmm. shot of Gwyneth Paltrow at this, Hon- what was it? Was it Hong Kong or something? Hong Kong bar? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just forgot. I thought it was Hong Kong. Yeah. Anyway, that's where she, and she, they show her shaking his hand and just having a picture, innocent picture taken with the chef of the place, you know, and, and they kind of show that that's where it happened. But it was so interesting. Yeah, there's a wired video that's out right now where an expert who specifically talks about that sequence you're talking about and he works oh, yeah. for the cdc and he said that's exactly right yeah and he was and they showed him the sequence with a pig and the the bat and then shaking her hand and he's like that's exactly right <laughs> yeah yeah totally and you know i mean what wasn't uh isn't covid you know probably a bat virus thing so it's like bat to pangolins a strange kind of reptile mammal thing that we shouldn't be eating but some humans eat them yeah at the wet markets and they even showed yeah. some shots of the wet markets you know when the guys walking through and coughing and all the open meat and all that kind of stuff although that's a little different because the wet markets they're actually eating these poor animals and oh it's gross but mm. yeah but it was just really again it's, you know simple sort of not fancy but just very satisfying story-wise, you know, you, we, we find the answer and, and yet at the same time, it's interesting how close it is to what we, what we are dealing with, with the coronavirus. Yeah. It, it really hammered, it got, got it. And it's, yeah, I don't think we're going to find any significant criticism for that film. Uh, we, we both really like it. And I think most people agree it's, it'll probably be a long time before anything that well. Yeah. Deserved. Now there's, there are other interesting elements too, that I thought, you know, are, are fair. Uh, one was the blogger. So you've got, you know, so he brings in this element of Jude Law plays this blogger and he's a very famous blogger. And the whole thing here is, you know, he represents sort of the, um, you know, the, the, the alternative media, so to speak, right. You know, in other words, n- not the classical mainstream media or whatever. And he, but he has a very big audience and he's very influential. And even in 2011, of course, it was it was very big and important, but of course, even more now. And yet, like you mentioned, he's a conspiracy theorist. And so, but what's interesting was, you know, I found it a, a, a very interesting take where, you know, he, he thinks he gets that he gets it, you know, he gets the virus. And so he takes this, you know, um, I it's like Versatrol, but that's not it. It's something Forsyth. I don't know what it is. Yes, but it began. I think I thought it began with an R, but I don't know. Yeah, but it's like some miracle cure that he thinks and hopes and all this, and and so they show how people glom onto that, you know, because um, uh, because he takes it and then he gets well, right? And and so what was fascinating was then we we ultimately find out he just had the flu. You don't find out that till later, till the end. At first, you're thinking, ah, see, you know, you're not listening to the to the, to the to the alternative guy and he's got the answer and he's being ignored and all this but in the end he was actually wrong and and uh, he didn't actually have the virus you know and so that does if, point I, and i'll just interrupt really quickly if the audience i i think the audience is supposed to believe yeah he's he's he doesn't want to believe it because he storms out with a government agent and says yeah that's what you guys say that's what people say now and people even though as of yesterday a couple days ago this week the study came out that said the anti-malarials don't work at all so anybody who took them like Daniel Day, uh, Daniel, uh, who was it? Daniel Day Kim, who was promoting it a couple months ago. They're basically saying you got lucky. It wasn't necessarily about those meds. Um, so the Jude Law thing again has just played out as being something that's really happening, and people are still like, no, 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 it's controversy. I mean, it's it's a conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, and, and look, I have no. I I think that that's true. I think that the danger of the internet, danger of the today's world, is precisely the unaccountability. Um, well, I think, you know what I'd like to ask you? I'm going to kind of 
jump in here. So we're not spending too much time talking about plot. What do we have to say about the conspiracy since we're doing this as Christians? I think that's it. I think the last great point to make about this movie is as Christians, what do we think about this Jude Law character? Because a lot of people who are conservative like ourselves are more in the mindset of conspiracy. Um, yeah. How, how do you feel about that? That's what I'm interested well, in Well, here's hearing. where I qualify it, you know, and, and, and on this show, just so that you people listening will understand, you know, we're not always going to agree on things and, and we hope that we can have a you know hearty discussion if that's the case. Mm-hmm. But, you know, while I admit and I certainly agree that, yeah, there, there's that element of the, the, you know, people who are unaccountable, et cetera. But here's the problem. I think, and this is where there's also other story, there's other sides of the story and the side of the story that they're not telling, which I think could be another great movie, but you're not going to see it, is is how irresponsible the mainstream media often is, actually. And it is the alternative media that will often, not always, but sometimes precisely report on the things that are being deliberately suppressed by, by the mainstream media. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. This is just the mainstream media is by and large liberal, and they, and they, they have a narrative that they're trying to push. And so they're always, you know, they're always going to go one direction and support one way. And so sometimes it takes the alternative blogger, you know, for example, a, a, a movie that's the opposite of this is uh, Gosnell, which some friends of mine made, and that was about the the uh, serial killer who was a, an abortion doctor, Gosnell, and that was a case precisely where all the mainstream media ignored it and suppressed it because it didn't fit their narrative. And it was the blogger, or more, it was more like small time. There was a blogger involved and a smaller time reporter. They were the ones that that brought this to light. And so you've got both sides of those stories that they're very true, right? And so just because, um, and, and my biggest complaint is just because I'm not, just because conspiracy theories uh, are usually wrong doesn't mean there aren't conspiracies. <laughs> um, it doesn't mean that they're not sometimes right. Or exactly, there are parts exactly. of many conspiracy that, theories that's, that's that are right. That's the danger. And so for example, right. yeah. you, you know, like, even right now, you have to. I've read literally just today <laughs> that there are there have been there are studies that are going on that say the opposite of what you just said. And it's not that you know. And I'm not going to impute bad motives on anyone. I'm just what I'm saying is I think we're still in a situation where you know this was like in in our case in COVID, um, it wasn't an example of conspiracy theory. These were medical doctors on the front lines all across the country. Various ones using uh, like the the hydroxychloroquine and mm-hmm. different different regimes of therapies. This wasn't just, hey, take the hydroxychloroquine. It was actually a regime that's based on scientific premises yeah. and that they have had they have had successes. And you know, yes, ultimately you're gonna have to do clinical trials to fa- make final proof, but when you're in the midst of a pandemic, you've got to try many different cases and there are many off- If I'm dying, yeah. I don't care if it's proven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, I, I will, I'll do it. <laughs> if I get it, I'm yeah. gonna do it. And, yeah. I, and I would say that for me, you know, and when it comes to this kind of a character like Jude Law, you're meant to dislike the guy in the way the story is presented. I think he's very much presented as a guy because he's kind of slimy. And when you add in yeah. the fact that he's making money off of it, and at one point he makes, you find out in the end he's made over $4 million in some kind of investments because of things that he may have wagged the, the dog. He may yes. have made. So he's definitely made to be a bad guy. But I do think in, in this kind of this kind of aspect, because we're going to see this in other stories and even the zombie stuff when we're talking about are there conspiracies or are there government cover-ups you know i'm much more on the side of being liberal and saying no i i trust our authorities more than i disbelieve in them but but 
there's definitely stuff that happens and to me it's a it's a matter of degrees there are a lot of things happening one of a one of my friends was telling me how just when all this you look at uncle sam has told certain businesses of certain types you're not getting stimulus and you're you're closed and some governments and states like california have said certain things like say tobacco if you're a cigar salesman or whatever your business is closed and there's no money for you uncle sam and your local government said you're done for now and if you go out of business say la vie and that's where i look and i go okay i do understand where you're coming from when people say there are conspiracies and there's also seattle just did this thing where they announced permanent closure of some major streets and drags permanently it's not covid related anymore they're permanent and they're going to stay that way for good and these are neighborhoods that are in some cases are more affluent and the only way you're allowed to drive a car in is if you're delivering something to the people who live there unless you yeah. live there those are scary things that i say that's where I look at this and I say, okay, yeah. there is evidence coming out that's saying that some of the controls and the reasons for reporting COVID, there are ulterior motives going on. Yeah. But I have to be careful because the law background in me says it's very complicated and I need more information before I make an opinion on it. Yeah, but here's another example too. It's, you know, in this movie, you know, the who, the WHO is, a, you know, is an... Uh, legitimate, you know, international organization for health and all this stuff. But look at what has come out now that the WHO was corrupt. It hid the fact it was a, it has been a tool of China. It literally knew that it was having human to human contact and they suppressed that and said it did not along with China. When China knew that that it was actually, um, you know, human-to-human uh, -human contact was occurring. And so we're finding now that, that the, and the WHO, I saw this with my own eyes, where the, one of the representatives being asked about Taiwan, and Taiwan was actually involved in actually some, some yep. working on some great therapies. Yep, absolutely. And the, the, frick, the guy did, would not answer a question about Taiwan. He completely ignored it as if they don't exist. And that's the who, that's the WHO. So basically, they're operating yes. like a Chinese asset. And that is a whole nother, again, you, you can't have everything in a, in a story, right? But but yeah. that to me is, that's an element of a story that I think now that's an interesting one that should be dealt with, is that kind of government corruption. No question. And Taiwan is phenomenal in what it's done. I've been there. Uh, we both have friends. We know people who are from there, born there. Uh, and yeah, there's no question. And that's, that isn't even up for controversy. Like, I don't think many people certainly believe that there's a, a, a conspiracy. They know it's fact that there's stuff going on and that Taiwan doesn't even have a seat in the, some of these WHO meetings because, because they're, they're not allowed to be called Taiwan independent. If they're not called China's Taiwan, they're not allowed and, to talk and, in that. And, yeah. and look, it's because Chinese communists, it's communism and communism has always been this way. Yep. So, so in some ways, I think that's the wake up call that we've had is realizing there's this giant that, that we've ignored and, and, you know, many administrations have just given over to, and it turned out like, what did they have? Like 90% of our pharmaceuticals or our antibiotics in being made in China and they had cornered the market on PPE. So now we're realizing, oh, oh, maybe we shouldn't be so be giving over so much to them just because we can get it at slave labor costs, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's a big change for us. And we're kind of, what's interesting is we're going off into the story that we want to tell or we want to see yeah. told. <laughs> okay, we're let's, not, let's get we're back not on a story. This might have to be outtake. <laughs> Some of this might have to <laughs> no, be no, no, outtake. No, this is who we are, dude. So, it is. And by it's the way, true. everything has to get approved by both of us, all cuts. Exactly. Let's, let's keep this moving. <laughs> let's, let's not bore, bore our fans. <laughs> okay, now um, we're going to talk about Outbreak.
But basically, I chose Outbreak too, or I suggested it because I just knew that you know it was it was it was made in 1995 by Wolfgang Peterson and had you know big Hollywood stars and it, it made a lot of money. It was a big you know it was a big hit in that sense. But I but I also kind of wanted I saw it as a com comparison. You know, it was more the typical big Hollywood blockbuster approach to it. You know, so everything all everything the stakes are even more elevated and and it's a lot more. Uh, you know, just exaggerated and everything. But it wasn't, you know, it's a little silly of a movie, you know, and now it's dated 1995. But in, in a way at the time, it kind of fit the time. And, and you know, of course, that was closer to when Ebola was the, the, the thing, you know. So, so outbreak is sort of what would happen if an outbreak of an Ebola-like virus comes from Africa, right? And, and, um, and starts to spread in somewhere in America, and particularly here, it's a small town in, in, in America, and Dustin Hoffman plays the epidemiologist or whatever, the doctor, and Rene Rousseau, his ex-wife, and Morgan Freeman and Donald Sutherland are these military guys in there. And this is the one where it kind of brings in the military in, in terms of, of you know, uh, they're the ones that have the the resources to be able to you know sort of close things off and quarantine and all that kind of stuff they get involved but then of course as the story goes on you start to realize that this this ebola virus whatever it was ebola like virus right they called it i think a mataba virus um and they they soon find out oh uh, there's it was actually more some it was it was actually something that was worked on by the um, american military actually as bio warfare right and um and so consequently, it, it has to be kept under wraps because they, they were working on this and it kind of got loose. And now if people find out, they've got to cover it over type of thing. So it's the government conspiracy angle. And, you know, as usual, it's the usually the military, too. So um, and but but it also brings in this the big high stakes issue of once they get this town quarantine where it starts to spread in America, and the military's kind of got it all, you know, controlled. It's you know the, the the outbreak is so bad that that basically the guys who 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 originated the bio warfare for it are realizing that if, if people find out, they're going to uh, you know they're gonna they're gonna crucify us you know that kind of thing. So we've got to hide hide the, the evidence so type of thing. And the way to do that is to to say that you know we're going to have to completely incinerate that town and everyone in it, you know. And that's of course the extreme Hollywood you know um, version of the movie type of thing. And the evil military guys are are uh, you know causing the problem, and then they're trying to kill everybody to to protect their own skins and all this kind of stuff. And I mean you know it's it's sort of like the typical Hollywood movie you know. But I uh, you know it was still sort of a, an interesting counter to Contagion and that sense you know it's bigger it's more a little sillier a little exaggerated and but it's very hollywood hollywood and stuff and and um and like i said i i, I guess i thought of it because it's sort of it, it was before its time it, you know the, 1995 so it's like one of the first ones that came out that i thought was was done with in such a big in, in, in a big broad you know sort of approach to it so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to at least talk a little bit about it. Yeah, what I what I think is interesting, what I like about this movie, sure, a lot of the science is off the wall, and it, we know it's dated. Um, but what I really like, and there's something as far as the storytelling in this compared to Contagion and a lot of the other movies that we're going to talk about, it's got this heart. You have a broken relationship between a husband and wife who are on the verge of getting divorced, and you have 
guys who are working in the military. You have Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character, who's this young up-and-coming guy, but he's also really smart. And I like that at the time they put him in, and he is a guy, he's an African-American man in 1995 in this movie, and he is multi-talented. He is not just... He's not just a whatever he is major. He's not a major. I can't remember what his position, is, what his title is. But he not only does he not only does he know how to how to get people around. The guy knows how to fly helicopters like he's like he's a, a raven. And the guy knows how to work the technology. He's working in the labs. He's working on on the the the, the cure. He's working on the the vaccine. And but it's just all these different characters who you care about. And even Kevin Spacey, the now fallen from grace guy, you know, he's the smart talking, wisecracking guy, but he cares about and he has a long history with Dustin Hoffman's character and they care about each other. And I, what I really think this movie captured, which is worth seeing, is the relationships and how what is a version of raging going against the machine, the military machine which is a separate part of our discussion about the military depicted in an insane way, but just going against power to save people's lives and being willing to say, I'll do anything. I'll put my life on the line. And that's very enthralling. And that's very of the, of the two films outbreak is a movie. That's a much more Christian centered worldview than contagion. Not a surprise. Soderbergh takes a lot of time in his movies and his TV series blatantly explaining how God's not real and is a joke. Um, so I, I, I look at the two movies, I'm like, this is as a believer. Definitely, I appreciate because of all these relationships and the progression. No matter how crazy and the fact that the monkey isn't even a monkey from Africa, the monkey's from South America or something like that. Yeah. I mean, everything about the film is just about wrong. But... Yeah. but but and and don't don't they like come up with a vaccine like within a few weeks or something? Oh yeah, it's really yeah. fast. Yeah, yeah. yeah because the to... monkey, like, oh, the monkey has the antibodies. So if we extract his blood in ten minutes, we can cure him. And it's like, but it's a movie. I get it. As an audience member, I don't want the three year version. <laughs> I want yeah. I want the I want the two and a half hour or two hour version. And that's part of story structure compressing reality. And I and and we give as audience members, even as serious critics and academics. We give credit to that compressed storytelling. I know that the, the cure takes two years and you're going to do it in in 10 days or 20 days. But I, I, I accept that because I understand what you're doing. You know, you're bringing closure. Yeah. And I would just like to say, the one thing I would like to say is, it's important to point out, this is not conspiracy theory, but you're never going to see a movie where it's China that is the origin and China is suppressing like it did with bird flu, swine flu, you know, all these flus seem to be coming out of China. <laughs> it's always going to be the U.S. government or the military is the one. Brian, who's... you can never travel to China now. You know that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe not even Hong Kong. Well, well because you might China, not even get into Hong Kong. in bed with China, you know. So, in fact, remember when they had the, um, they did the well, remake? Well, remember, but Hong Kong, Hong Kong doesn't want to be in bed. Yeah, no, all that's those true. rebel that's fighters true. now, but it was a free so. country until 99. Yeah. Hollywood, right, sure. Yeah. But, you know, remember the remake of Red Dawn? I don't know how long ago it was, but it's like they, they had actually shot it as China, and then they changed it all to North Korea after the movie had been made. Oh, I didn't even know that. <laughs> made it look really junky, too, you know, because of basically China came in and, and complained. And well, they had if you want to release your film there, that's something to mention. That exactly, If you want to release exactly. your film, which is a huge market now, you're not going to get in any in that. Con that's billions of people. That that's money, and you're most studios and people are never going to say they're never going to thumb their nose at china for that reason yeah absolutely so um 
So you know, moving moving along here though, yeah. um, one of the movies that I you know that I recommended to you because I'm really like I'm a big South Korean movie watcher now. It just seems like I feel like in some ways they're they are what old Hollywood used to be. You know, with before all the radical politics and all that stuff ate it all up. You know, they and, and they kind of have the it's melodramatic. You know, um, South Korean filmmaking. You know, it's a little over the top for, in some ways for the emotions, uh, from our perspective. You know, but um, but I really love it. It's very human. And it's very simple. You know, their films not simple. Their their films are very human in a profound way. You know, and I think that they they really touch on these relationships in in a very powerful way. So the the movie the movie that I recommended was called Flu. And it's on Amazon Prime, and and you watched it, and you ended up loving it as well. And um, tell us, just tell us a little bit about your reactions to that. Okay, so right now I'll mention anybody who hears this podcast that Flu is on, and we're going to discuss Last Train to Busan. If I'm pronouncing it right, I apologize if not. Well, next time. Next time we're going to talk about that. But they're on Amazon Prime, which is great. So you can see a lot of this stuff. But so Flu, or The Flu, depending on what region in the world it was released in, it it's a it's a human melodrama about but it's it's a fun within the darkness human melodrama about a whole bunch of different people a young girl and her mother who's on the verge of divorce her husband's fled to america who's she works for the equivalent of the cdc in south korea and you have a senate you have a, a firefighter basically a rescue squad guy and his sidekick buddy who are kind of fun lucky losers in life and losers in love and they get pulled into the situation where an out, basically this outbreak happens and because the rescuers had had an, a connection to the to this woman who works for the CDC they get pulled into the story and it goes through what happens when an avian type flu with serious they call mods mods and it's where basically you're dying very quickly and again no zombies just really pretty quick death and you go through the process of seeing people that get caught in a region in a city and they're trying to, to survive and they're trying to get out. And again, we have the military element coming in saying, we got to just bury people before they're dead, which comes up a lot in these kind of movies and burn everybody if we can't figure out a cure fast enough. Yeah. And yeah. and it goes through, but the, the, there's this amazing, this really nice story about the relationship between the guy who's the rescue guy who really likes this doctor, who would normally be out of his league, but because he's saving the daughter, it gets a door in and, and then he's very self-sacrificial, which is beautiful. He's willing yeah. to sacrifice his life. And the daughter, who's amazing, the girl that they cast is like phenomenal. I hope we see her in more films, including possibly American films, because she's she was awesome. She's going to be less she's going to be less adorable, I guess, as she gets older. But hopefully she's a continues to be a great actor. Oh, she she was phenomenal. Like I just she pulled you in. Yeah, got she you just, right in. Just watching that in. little girl, you just loved her, and she was so cute and and precocious, you know. And but the relationship was so powerful where you know like you you mentioned it already but i just wanted to you know reemphasize you, you know one of the the leads is this, a rescue worker a guy you know and he falls he rescues this this korean woman and, and she's a single mother and then he finds out and and through through machinations of the plot you know he ends up sort of interacting with this little girl while the mother is is away and he ends up helping the little girl the little girl helps him and such and they get to know each other so it's this wonderful relationship that's apart from romance and yet at the same time and this is one of the things i was so amazed at the movie starts out where it's got this sort of a silly romantic almost romantic comedy edge to it as this 
guy meets this girl while he's saving her, right? And I was thinking, that's weird for a serious topic. But you know what? As I watched it, I realized they pulled it off. They were able to integrate a love story that has humor to it, which is very human, in with this tragic, you know, morose story. And I, I thought I thought they did a great job of it, you know? Yeah, and I have something to say. I'm, I'll just interject really quickly because you're on this subject. What I, I, I have a suspicion, this is not the only Korean film, South Korean film, that does this. A lot of films do this. Host, there's so many, even Parasite this year, the big Oscar winner, has a lot of comedy in the darkness. And I yeah. suspect in this film, part one of my argument is, which is part of the storytelling that's cultural, part one is... The reason that they can be light like this is because with some of these subjects going on, in particular yeah. bird flu, and in particular human trafficking is what causes it. It's a guy who who escapes in a, contain, a container full of people who die, who are brought over from Indonesia, or I can't remember exactly what country it is, but they're brought over. And the, the people who live in Korea know these issues. They live with them every day. So having yeah. something like that, you could never do that story in America. You couldn't do it in the West. You couldn't do it in Australia. You could not get away with that and be light like this because it's much more shocking to us. But they live with the reality of that and they live with the reality of avian flu and 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 MERS. That, well, but it also was a scare North Korea. That. You know, like they live with the reality of North Korea. And that's the second like part of my over. argument. These films, including Parasite and, and, and The Host a few years ago and all these films, you live under constant threat of death in a way that we don't understand. We maybe understood back speaking of, we were talking earlier about uh, Red Dawn and we lit, We used to have you know Cuba and we were worried about that, but that's nothing like what they have. It, we, they've got a psychopath and it split the country in half. And that living under that heaviness creates a mindset in society that allows for, you gotta, either you die crying or you enjoy life and you can laugh at stuff. And I think that's what we're seeing. No, that's a very good point. And I can attest to that. My wife is a nurse and yeah. it's very much the same way in hospitals where you're living daily with death. And she sometimes tells me about some of the, you know, the jokes that even doctors will do or nurses will say to each other. And, you know, they try to keep it discreet, but, you know, they'll make their jokes and stuff. But it's because they're living with death constantly that you kind of have to fight it with a sense of hope or a sense of humor brings that sense of hope you know mm -hmm. and and i think too that one element of this that this is going to run into the zombie movies big time but but it's it's in each of these movies that we haven't addressed yet which is they they all they so they deal with how panicky how quickly civilization breaks down which is really a shame on us in a sense some of it is understandable you know but there's some of it that's a shame meaning how quickly we become self-centered to protect ourselves and our families, but you know, nonetheless, it's it's more of a self-centered, and um, and so this is why in all these movies, including Flu, they have the time where you know people start to realize they panic, they go to the grocery stores and they you know they you know pull all the stuff out, kind of like taking out you know buying all the toilet paper out here, right? And um, so there's this element though of sacrifice versus survival that I is one of the reasons why I love 
a lot of these movies because they usually all do. And by the way, Outbreak had this. So did Contagion. You know um, that. You know, I remember Contagion. You know, Kate Winslet wanted to help people so badly that even when she's dying on her bed and this guy next to her is all cold, she, she can barely pick her own jacket up off her body and try to give him the jacket, you know? And, and that was just a powerful, powerful emotional moment. Well, flu is loaded with them, you know? And, and, and it's the kind of sacrifice of, you know, they show people who will uh, immediately, you know, respond with, for themselves and then those who will help others, even at great sacrifice themselves. And so um, one of those big, and one of those issues too is, is actually a, I think something that's, and, and, and you know, I think it, it, it relates to a lot more than, than just this, but there's always a character who will get it and, and or several characters, and the, the immediate response is they hide it. They hide it like either they get bit or they start to get a flu or whatever, you know, and, and they immediately try to hide it so that people don't know because they know they're going to be the next ones who are going to be excised from the community, so to speak, right? And and so we can certainly understand that, you know, that 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 uh, self protection mechanism, right? But the question is, is how are you going to deal with that? Are you going to then stay hidden, which then endangers those around you if you do have this disease and you know it, or are you going to self you know, or protect others by, you know, quarantining yourself, that kind of a thing. And I think that that's, a, that's wrestled with a lot throughout the flu movie where even, you know, um, that little girl ends up getting sick. And of course, she's not an adult, so it's not like she can protect herself anyway. But but it's how that how they go, you know, sacrificing their lives in order to try to save this little girl, you know, and get her the vaccine and all that kind of stuff. And I'll just interject really quickly with the girl. Oh, I think that they used the little girl in that film because you get to see a very extreme version of the flip side of the story. Normally in storytelling in these kind of films, when the people are just holding back, when they're, we're going to see it in Carriers, they're just bad people or they're selfish. But when you see it in this movie, you know, the mom, you would do the same thing. And Maggie, we'll talk about, you would do the same thing. And this, when you use children who are younger that you're in charge, the parent, when you put a parental role in, you get that other side of the argument. And I love seeing that story because that Absolutely. doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it right if you're looking at society as a whole. And again, right. a godly worldview is I'm looking out for myself and my kid, and that's human, but there's a bigger issue of society. And I really prefer it when these things happen, where you take a younger person who has it and the parent is like, I'm going to do anything to protect my kid. And yeah, for me, it yeah. resonates more because it's much more complicated issue than the selfish person. Uh, but the selfish character is fun, too, because there are different things that happen, as we'll talk about. What happens when the selfish person gets exposed, the story is a different outcome. Well, look, we highly recommend it. It, it, it. The movie's rich, it's heavy, it's emotional, it's and it's got these am amazing over-the-top moments. Like it, it builds up to the end where, you know, again, it's yeah. totally melodramatic, but I'm telling you, it works. It works for it works for the maybe it works for the South Koreans. I don't know, but it works in the story where it builds up to the point where all these people are are being quarantined and and unfairly and unjustly in some ways, and they're considering killing all the people and and the army's bl blocking them all off, and these people are standing there, and it's this little girl that ends up sort of like coming out of the crowd crying for her mommy, you know, mm -hmm. and it stops everyone in their tracks. It's just some of it's it's completely over the top, but it's 
just completely works. And uh, yeah, like you said, this all this is highly rooted in family commitment, love, sacrifice for family and and for others. And sometimes they show examples where people will help, you know, give uh, to others. You know, like that, like the guy who was, uh, you know, trying to save the little girl, and it wasn't his girl. You know, that kind of thing. So let's let's finish up with carriers then, because I think that it, you know, I think you liked this movie more than I did. Yeah. Um, but I do admit, you know, this is like 2009. It's a it's it's a movie that's still in the. It's not zombies. Uh, really it's it's still more in the area of just sickness it is there's it actually starts... no zombies it's people are dead i mean there's a moment where a guy's mostly dead and he just goes oh yeah and then he's yeah, dead exactly so, I, so I, i'd say there's zero zombies in this movie so tell tell us about that and and uh very quickly it is a it is a it's called carriers so it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a surprise it's it's about living in a world post-pandemic where almost it's set in the united states and almost everybody's dead um and it's you start in media res in the middle of the story four people chris pine and this is around the time right around the time he was in the star trek reboot the first one um coming off of like bottle shock right around that time he's in it what's her name parker piper parabo. parabo is it parker yeah, parabo piper parabo piper parabo who was in one of the first movies I ever worked on in Hollywood. I should know her name. <laughs> um, and a couple other actors in there. It, it really good, really good, interesting cast of younger people in their 30s and 20s. And it's two brothers, Chris Pine and the other guy, the other character, their brothers. And they're just traveling. Basically, the only place they know to go is they're going to go to their cross-country, West Coast resort town that they grew up going to, the beach. And the movie starts out with imagery of the two brothers at the beach. And they figure, we'll stay by the ocean because, you know, immediately you have 180 degrees of nothing. Ocean, which means that that's 180 degrees 50 percent of any danger is gone because you have the ocean and they're going because it's a peaceful place and on the way trying to get there right off the bat they drive past the father and his infected daughter and rather than help him their car breaks down because it gets smacked up and they have to come back and humble themselves before the father and make negotiate to go on a trip and basically take his vehicle and travel to get to the next town and they and they go they decide they agree to take the father to this place where he's heard on the radio classic element of the radio people communicating over old-fashioned radio again it's in a lot of these films they go to the town and of course yeah we were trying to find a cure it's dead dead everybody's almost dead and the few people left including children the doctor there is going to put them all to bed with poison kool-aid basically and at that point our crew of four people leave the father and daughter and just take off. And they continue, have some other near misses with some other rednecks and people out there. And it just descends. They wind up meeting a group that almost kills them. It's military. That's not military. It's just people who are ex-military that are just trying to survive. And yeah. in the end, the two brothers cannibalize each other in a sense, not physically eating each other, but their souls their moral compass disintegrates until the worst possible end which is one of them kills the other this is a story that is it's a it's a low budget you know small story focusing on the personal right not the big not the big picture but the personal and um and it's it's really throughout the whole story it's really about this this idea of of countering the um uh, self-preservation versus self-sacrifice. I think it's a very strong issue because the rules that Chris Pine, who's sort of the macho leader of the of the gang of the group of people there, he's kind of the one that strictly enforces the you know stay away, let people die, don't help them, that type of a thing, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 of course, 
as soon as they find out someone is, you know, it, it justifies, you know, cutting yourself off from them. So that at one point in the story, when Piper Parabo, who is his girlfriend, <laughs> you know, when she realizes she's infected, she immediately hides it. And because she knows she's going to be the next one cut off. And you, you'd think, oh, no, maybe not. Maybe maybe this would be a case where he would uh, you know, use a double standard because certainly wouldn't most of us. You know, if it was my wife, I would. I'd use a double standard. <laughs> but, but, um, but he doesn't. He, he heartlessly and soullessly just cuts her off. And that's that, you know, you, so you see how he's, he's becoming more and more committed to that to the exclusion of everyone else, you know? And I thought that's a powerful, um, and then they were playing, as they interact with the various other people, we see, um, you know, before that, even there's this moment where, you know, they're, they're helping the, the father and the daughter and, and the daughter's uh, got the sickness and they're trying to stay away from her. And then there's this moment where they're all at the car and the daughter has to go to the bathroom, which is across the lot at a, a potty, a porta potty. And they all look at each other. We know what they're going to do. They're going to leave them, right? And the father goes, no, honey, you can go by yourself so he can stay there mm -hmm. with them so they won't leave. But she's so weak, she can't make it. She stumbles and your heart's just, you know, falling out, you know, oh my God. And, and you see this guy and he just goes, it's okay, honey. He goes and helps her. And we see in his face, he knows he's going to be left behind. He's hearing the sound behind him yes. of them putting, pulling his luggage out. He doesn't even have to look, which is great storytelling. Yes. He doesn't have to look. The audience sees it, but he hears it. He knows what's going on. And he doesn't yeah. even flinch. And, yeah, That's a great just, moment. What I would, totally. what I would add really quickly is what I what I really like about this film. I'm a I'm a Chris Pine fan. My wife was in Berkeley when he was an actor there and she saw him on stage and really always liked him. So, we're both fans. So I I try to see almost everything he does. But what I would say about this film, I I after I watched it, I did a quick breakdown of all the moral choices that that progressed to the end. And I'll just give a brief recap because I think it's well Please worth do. since we're talking about story. It doesn't happen in this order because we start in media res, but we find out that the first thing Chris Pine did was bury bodies when the outbreak happened and he knew people were alive, but his boss told him, don't worry about it, look the other way, and he did. Then we come up on, then we find out that Chris Pine's character, the older brother, told the parents, we're going to be right back. And then he got in the car with his brother and they got on the road, knowing he'd never see his parents again, they were dying. Then we come upon the car where the movie starts, where they pass by the, the father and daughter, only come back to help because they have to do it, because their car broke. Their car got damaged from actually avoiding their, the, the vehicle, which was blocking the road. The father and the daughter were blocking the road. Then when they get them there, and that moment we just talked about, the father, the father helps his daughter he makes that sacrifice and the four guys the four kids in that vehicle are not really kids but the four people in that they leave and then what happens next is uh piper parabo's character gets sick hides it from everybody and when chris pine the boyfriend finds out after they were talking about the equivalent of whatever marriage that there is without in this world they're talking about being lifers and maybe having kids when he finds out he leaves her and says get out then the next thing that happens is they're on the road and two women who have a fish have the Christ, you know, have the Christian fish hanging in their from their their rearview mirror, whether that was meant to just tell people leave us alone or whether it was real. I don't know. But when they go by and don't want to give gas, 
Chris Pine's character just kills him, gets in a shootout and kills him. And now you've descended from all this cold breaking down to literally you've murdered. And then he gets shot in that shootout and starts dying. And his brother winds up having to shoot him soon after because Chris Pine, the character, would not hand the keys over to the vehicle. And then the brother gets to the destination at the end and he's so... He himself has become so... His spirit has become so... De degenerated his his moral compass is completely destroyed he's standing at a fish shack that's now abandoned and there's rotted fish in it with cockroaches all over and he picks up some cockroaches and holds it in his hand and the cockroaches walk over his fingers and he just stares at it completely indifferent and i thought boy what a great story progression to show the moral decisions that lead to the madness of shooting your own brother and cockroaches on your hand are just meaningless. So I, I thought yeah. that the film did a great job with that, the, the breakdown. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So the uh, the moral choices we make. So let's just wrap this up because I think we're done for for the episode. We'll, yeah, we'll 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 be talking about zombies. We we might have a two parter on the zombies because I love a lot of zombie movies and there's a I've got a lot to talk about. So I'm sure uh, you do too, Chris. Yeah. The next time, in fact, I'll just tell everyone. You know, we're going to definitely talk about the trio of well more than that um i am legend movies uh, i am legend was a novel written by richard matheson about you know the last man on earth and we're going to look at basically several of these movies made from the first last man on earth with Vincent price to the omega man with charlton heston all the way to will smith and i am legend we're going to talk about each of those because we really like how they capture a lot of cultural realities and deal with these zombie notions but but just to sort of wrap up you know uh, that again i think that the power of these virus movies um, and Carriers was really, in, in a way, the apex. It focused precisely, like you said, on what are the moral compromises and choices we make to protect ourselves that end up stealing our own humanity and we become uh, our, you know, it's like we're killed by a virus of the soul. You know what I'm saying? And and that's what I see as one of the, uh, I want to one of the common threads in a lot of these that is a very powerful moral uh, compass for us that is one of the reasons why I like watching these movies is because I am ultimate, I am a coward. <laughs> without the Spirit of God, without um, the encouragement of values that I want to uphold like this, like being more sacrificial, I watch these movies because I need to be I need to be emboldened, encouraged to to live a more self-sacrificial life rather than a selfish one. You know what I'm saying? And and that's kind of how I see these challenges are, are in terms of on a personal level. You know, as we watch them, we we embolden the values of self-sacrifice over self-preservation. And that's sort of my personal wrap up of of what I like about them. And I, why don't you finish and, and add add your what you want? Yeah, I'm going to concur with everything. I'm really looking forward to the I Am Legend. We'll talk about Richard Matheson, who is known for, where we, you know, Richard Matheson, who was known for writing on the Twilight Zone with Rod Serling. He had some of the greatest episodes ever written of that show. We'll talk about his. We'll, we're going to briefly talk about his book, but we're going to talk about the three versions that have been made of his book and how they're products of their time. And I'm really pumped about that. And I want to finally, one thing I want to throw off is just a couple, a few honorable mentions, really quickly. We're not going to have time to talk about them, but Maggie, I highly recommend it. 
because it's a father daughter. It's not, it's kind of it's a pandemic movie. There's a little zombie, but really what the pandemic is is very slow rabies. If you die of a rabies type thing and you live for a long time and disintegrate and die. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is phenomenal. The reviews on this movie are not great. Some of the IMDb reviews are not great, but this is one of the first movies I've seen where I actually stop believing what I see in critical reviews without making my own judgment. <laughs> this movie came out a few years ago, and when I saw it, I thought it was great, and the reviews were not great, and I thought something is wrong, and I, I'm seeing a lot in this movie that I think people are not. But I'm a father. I have a 20-month-old, and when I first saw Maggie, I liked it, but now this time I watched it for this podcast and I was really getting choked up because seeing a father who's willing to do anything for his daughter, I was like, it had an even bigger impact on me than the last couple times I had seen it. Um, and a couple of other, I just want to mention, there's this great movie that came out. It's an, a New Zealand film, came out in the mid 80s called The Quiet Earth. And it's a who knows pandemic movie. Is it a pandemic? And I highly recommend seeing it because the movie starts off where there are just a few people alive and a few people dead and almost everybody's gone and you don't know what's going on. And it's not until you get later in the movie you find out it's a, spoiler alert, plug your ears, it's a dimensional split. The earth splits into another dimension and only people who are on the verge of dying went into the alternate dimension. And, and in the end, the guy kills himself and wakes up in a place that's not even earth and that's the end of the movie so <laughs> i really like the trick crazy off the wall pandemic movie that actually isn't a pandemic movie um so anyway those are two honorable mentions i really did want to at least mention those but we're not gonna have time to talk about them all right well we'll see you we'll see you next time where we talk about zombies and uh thanks for listening can't wait thank you thank you for listening to the god and entertainment podcast We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.